On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are talking about Hamilton City Council, and we're talking about them in positive terms. Yes, indeed, they are doing something that I think is great, and that is showing restraint with the budget, or trying to at least. Many of them arguing, we're not adding more services, we're not adding more stuff until we get the budget level, the budget amount down. Not to zero, mind you, but at least they're showing some restraint. I applaud that. We'll talk about that one. We're also going to chat about the United Nations Security Council. We know that our government is going after this one hard. Not everybody knows what this is or what it means or why this may or may not be important. We'll talk about that one. And then Don Robertson joins us to talk about a very unique, very interesting lawsuit filed by a former Blue Jay against the Houston Astros. We'll explain why. Stick around. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. I I do want to talk about Hamilton City Council for a moment. And you may be shocked, some of you will be, because we've been in a bit of a run here where every time we start talking about Hamilton City Council, it seems it's for some other disastrous thing or some other controversial thing or some other thing where there's criticism. I mean, the sewer situation and the Lime Ridge Mall State Arena situation and Red Hill Creek asphalt situation and pick what you want. The, the City Council, this City Council lately has not been PR-wise on a great run. I think that's quite fair to say. However, however, there was a little bit of news that came out yesterday into today. And I got to say, when council does something right, we are being unfair if we don't highlight the things they do right, as well as the things they do wrong. And so I'm sitting here saying, you know what? Okay, little thumbs up, maybe not as much fun to not bang on their heads with a fry pan once in a while, but Thumbs up for something they're doing. And I want to hear from you on this, whether you agree with my assessment of what that they're doing something right here. And here it is. We are in the middle of budget discussions right now for the city budget when the what they are going to hit us with as far as taxes. And a number of councillors have now announced that they are not going to be, they're not willing to add any more services, any more expenses to the city budget until they get the tax increase below 3.5%. If we can get it down below 3.5%, which is still not a low, low figure, let's be honest, but they're saying, no, we're not going to be hiring a cigarette butt bylaw officer. We're not increasing fire services. We're not expanding the sidewalk snow cleaning program. We're not adding wages for summer students. We're not doing things to add to the climate change situation, the, you know, the emergency they're calling it that we have to deal with. We have to get our house in order financially. We have to get our budget down to where we can deal with this because you know what? The cost of living in this city keeps going up. It keeps going up. And you know, there are people who can afford it. Of course there are people who can afford it, but there's an awful lot of people who can't afford every year to have their taxes go up three, four, five percent. Some places this year they're talking about there's going to be six percent tax increases. And I know what some people say. I, I hear it all the time. They say, well, look, you're living in a house that's gone up in value over the last 10 years. Look at how much your house is worth. House is worth. It's now worth $600,000. You know how many retirees on a fixed income we have in this city who it's good fortune, there's no question, but they bought their house for a lot less 
the house, the real estate prices have gone through the roof. Now their taxes are going through the roof, but they have no more money to pay for it. So they have this house that's worth X dollars, but it's not liquid. It's not money they have at their disposal. And so to pay the taxes, it's now getting to the point they can't afford it. The only way they could afford it would be to sell the house. And then where do they move? Because everything else is expensive too. So I'm with the city councillors, those who are behind this. And and again, I want to credit where credit is due. Applause where applause is warranted. To see a city council actually take a stand and say, no, we're not going to spend and spend and spend just because we have the ability to do that. Yes. All right. Clap to you. That, that is the kind of thing that we like to hear. At least I do, but I want to ask you, and here's what I want to ask you about, because there is all, there are two options here. I'm applauding the fact that we are showing that the council is showing fiscal restraint, at least many, some, most, I don't know yet. We'll see when the vote comes, but a number of them are showing fiscal restraint. Those are the people I'm applauding, but you have a choice. Because if you say, I want lower taxes, or at least I want my taxes kept in check, by definition, it means I am saying I would prefer to have reduced or no more services. Or you could say, no, no, I would rather pay more taxes to have more services, to have more luxuries in some cases, some would argue necessities. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. This next segment for some of you is going to be refresher time for others of you who may not want to admit because, you know, we don't like to admit we don't know everything and you've heard a lot about a particular story that's going on. We're going to try and fill in some of the gaps here so you can know what is going on in one of the big stories of the day. Uh, Because by now you have surely heard about our Prime Minister's quest for a seat on the United Nations Security Council. And this is not political commentary. He has made it very clear. He's been very forthright about his desire for that spot. So this is not a, we're not saying, hey, he's trying to do this and it's in secret. No, no, this is a very public thing. Um, Where things get political is how he's going about seeking this. He's been in Africa for the better part of a week now. Uh, Supporters would say he is working on trade missions with some African countries and opening doors and creating opportunities. Opponents would say he's tossing around bags of taxpayers' money to curry favor and buy votes to get onto the Security Council. Anyway, since this has been and continues to be such an, uh, a central part of this government's focus, thought it might be a good time for a refresher on what this story is all about. Dr. Adam Chapnick is a professor of defense studies at the Royal Military College. He is author of the book, Canada and the United Nations Security Council, a small power on a large stage. He joins us now. Dr. Chapnick, thanks for doing this. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. So uh, let us go back here for not, I mean, I, I assume many people understand this story very well, but I also bet that I, and I know that a number of people nod politely when they hear about this, but aren't really sure what this is about. Um, take a few seconds, if you can, and explain what the Security Council really does. Why does it exist? So the Security Council is the executive committee of the United Nations. It's the only part of the United Nations that has the power of, of law. In other words, when the Security Council says something, your interna- states are actually obligated to follow up, whereas when the General Assembly says something, it's supposed to be the power of public opinion that compels you to do something. The General Assembly can't actually force you to do anything. Only the Security Council can mandate the use of force into another country, for example. So it does carry weight? It does. The Security Council actually has some real power. 
And is it effective generally? Uh, it's effective when the five permanent members, there are 15 members on the council, five are permanent, the U.S., the U.K., France, Russia, and China. When they decide to cooperate, the council is extremely effective. That doesn't happen very often, but you never know when it's going to happen. And the reason I asked if it's effective and if it carries weight is because those five countries that you just mentioned are obviously probably the world's five heavy hitters. I don't know, maybe there's another one in there I'm not thinking of right now. But then I see the countries of the 10 who are the voted-in countries, and I see countries like Niger and Estonia and St. Vincent and the Grenadines holding seats, and I wonder, okay, like how, how significant is it if it's countries that are this, I hate to use the word, but almost insignificant on the world stage that are holding that kind of power? Well, the way I would look at it is the, con- the major countries, the G7 and G20 countries that aren't permanent members, all of the other ones make it a priority to be on the council as often as they can. So of the G20 countries, every country has been elected except Canada since 2000. So all the important ones think it's important. India will be on the council when, if we are successful with us in 2021. Germany's just coming off a term right now. So yes, there, are, there is space for some of the smaller countries, but the big countries who aren't permanent members, all of them have it as a priority to be on the council as often as they can. Are the smaller countries essentially just rubber stamp countries then of the bigger countries that they need trade from and need benefits from? Uh, They can be sometimes. It depends how comfortable they feel uh, speaking their mind. You need nine positive votes to pass anything at the Security Council. So you can't take all the small countries for granted, because if they don't vote in favor of whatever it might be, you, you can't get it done no matter how powerful you are. It only takes one of the permanent five to stop anything from happening, but it takes nine members to, to actually do something. So what would be the benefit then? Because this has obviously been a huge push of the Liberal government, of our current Prime Minister. What would be the benefit to Canada being on the Security Council? There are three big benefits in order of importance. The first is access. By being on the council, you sit around the table with the Americans, the Chinese, the French, the British, and the Russians 24-7 for two years. For Canada in particular right now, because we can't get those two Michaels out of China where they've been wrongly imprisoned, a chance to start up a dialogue with the Chinese here would be extremely helpful. We've had trouble getting through to the Chinese at all. At least in this case, we could build a relationship by sitting beside the rep. The second reason is relevance. Because we'd be on the council and 175-odd countries wouldn't be, there will be another number of countries that want to speak to us in order to get to the, to the powerful five. So we become more relevant because of our access that, that we have. And the third is influence. Every so often the council actually does do something that is valuable to uh, international society, and we can either be part of that or lead that by being on the council. The first time that uh, the United Nations went into uh, Kuwait in the first uh, U.S. war against Iraq, the Americans didn't know if they wanted to use the U.N. or go it alone. We were very important in convincing the Americans to use the U.N., and uh, history suggests that, that things work out a lot better for the Americans and for the world when they go through the U.N. instead of going it alone as they did in the second Iraq war. Your point about the other countries, the 100 and how many did you say, 127? So, no, so there are 193 countries Sorry. in the UN, so there are 178 that, not, that are not on the council. 178. So your point makes a lot of sense, that the 178 would want to come through Canada or the other countries if we had a seat on there and try and get us to push their, their position. But if Canada is on there, even though they have one of the seats, do the Americans, do the Russians, do the Chinese, do they listen to these little countries if they have basically veto power all by themselves, or are they only doing what's best for them anyway? 
So they listen when they want the council to do something, because they <laughs> okay. need at least four of those countries to say yes. They don't tend to pay as much attention if they want to stop something, because they don't need any help to do that. But quite often, the Americans in particular, uh, along with the British and the French, will want to, to embarrass, and, and it works vice versa, will want to embarrass the Russians or the Chinese by passing a resolution about human rights in some way, shape, or form. Uh, in order to pass that resolution, they want to have at least 12 or 13 votes on side, forcing the Russians or the Chinese to embarrass themselves by voting against it. So the more allies you can build up, the more embarrassing it becomes to the country that has to veto. No one really likes to veto. It draws attention to the fact that they're standing apart from everyone else. Dr. Chapman, let's say we win this, and we'll get to whether we can win this in just a moment, but let's just jump ahead and say we do win this. What's the residual, or is there any residual effect to this after the two years is done. Does it have a long-term benefit for a country to have been on the Security Council? Yeah, there are a couple of long-term benefits, and I wouldn't run because of them, but they are quite valuable. Uh, the Security Council is the best diplomatic experience that, that is possible. Every uh, I've interviewed about 50 diplomats who have served on the Council, and all of them have said to, to, to the one that they became significantly better representatives of Canada after having served on the Council. There's no higher stakes, higher pressure, more intense job and as a result, you get a much more mature and sophisticated diplomatic core out of it. So that, that's the, the big positive there uh, in, the, in terms of residuals. Uh, beyond that, uh, a successful campaign usually means you've developed some new relationships, and the time on the council with some of those non-permanent members, some big, some small, you also develop some closer relationships that may be helpful down the road. You never know when. Uh, just as an example of how you never know when a relationship is going to help you, uh, we have a situation uh, in Iran with a plane crash. We don't have an embassy in Iran. The Italians help us out. The Ukrainians help us out. You never know when it's good to have a uh, when it's going to be helpful to have a good relationship with another country. So, from what from listening to you, this is a this is a, a good thing to be on in bal- on balance. It would be a good idea to have someone there. That said, is it always? good to be seeking a seat? Is it always a good time to be in the running and spending the money and putting in the time and the resources, or are there better times than others to be making this move? So there are better and worse times. Unfortunately, you don't usually know which which time it's going to be until you get there. Uh, for Canada, the big issue for us that can cause us trouble is the Middle East. We are more sympathetic to Israel typically than Britain and France, but a little bit less sympathetic typically than the United States. So sometimes if the, Amer- if the Americans and the British differ on Israel and a resolution comes up about Israel at the Security Council, if we're on the Council, we have to pick a side. That's the kind of, the, the kind of time where you'd rather not be on the Council uh, so that you don't make one of your allies particularly angry. Uh, but you really can't predict when that's going to happen. You just have to hope in some ways that the Middle East doesn't become the focus of the Council while you're there. But as for running for a seat, uh, is there a better or a worse time to be in the mix? So running for a seat, uh, is my, the one concern I have with, with the, what this government has done this time is ideally you don't want to have to compete for a seat. Uh, the little group that we're in of about 30 countries called the Western European and Others Group gets two seats every two years, uh, at two seats at the same time for a two-year term, then they get two, two can replace them after two years. In our history, what we've normally done is we've looked forward in, for a two-year period where there are, is one or fewer candidate that's already put their name forward with the idea that we want to we get in on an empty slate and we don't want to have to compete against anyone. When we've had to run and win elections, it's been because someone else has butted in. 
This time, the government uh, made a different decision. There were already actually three candidates for the two seats. We added our names. Seemingly, we squeezed out one of the three, San Marino. They were convinced to leave and support us. But now we're competing against Ireland and Norway, and Ireland and Norway have been campaigning for a number of years. We only started uh, three years ago, three and a half years ago. So what are our chances? Our chances, it was, it's going to be tough. Uh, it didn't look good at all for a while. It looks a little bit better right now, in part because Ireland is, it just had an election, and their prime minister isn't going to be prime minister for more than another week or two or three. That makes it really hard for Ireland to make deals with other countries, because no one can trust that the deal they make is actually going to be valid when the new government takes over. So in that context... A lot of people that might have promised deals to Ireland, those deals might be voided, and countries lie anyway, and it, it mm. will, should be easier for us to pick off some of the, those Irish votes right now because of the uncertainty in Ireland. Leaving us, okay, so we, we've heard about the benefits, and, and that's clear, and you've explained that very well. My, the one concern I have out of this is, in this African trip, and now obviously I haven't listened to every single word the Prime Minister has said, I don't know who has, um, I haven't heard a lot being said about things like human rights, which is often something that we talk about as Canadians when our leaders go overseas. And I'm wondering, to try and curry favor and lure these votes, do we have to abdicate and step away from some of our traditional principles so we don't offend anybody? So I think the interesting thing is one of the crit- critiques that uh, that uh, I would give to the government normally is that we go running our mouth on human rights when it's not effective too much as it is. That w- most likely, a country hearing that Canada doesn't like their human rights record is going to laugh. If we're speaking with 20 or 30 significant countries at once, they're more likely to pay attention because there might be significant ramifications. For example, when we criticized the Saudis for their human rights position, uh, they uh, canceled flights, they pulled students out, they did more damage to our economy than we could ever do to theirs. On the other hand, when we gather our allies and criticize, it's more likely that the Saudis will have to change their behavior. So it doesn't bother me that much that the Prime Minister isn't on a lecturing tour of the African states. It doesn't, basically never works, and it's, it often causes more penalties than, than uh, benefits. It makes Canadians feel good that we're standing up for human rights, absolutely, but it doesn't actually do anything for human rights when we do it alone. Dr. Adam Chapnick from Royal Military College. Fascinating topic. Really appreciate your insight. Thanks for doing this. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Uh, again, you can be following this because it's going to be going on and on. The the other thing to consider is we are spending, to get this seat, a lot of money. Now, as he said, there are benefits to it for sure, but we are spending tens of millions of taxpayers' dollars, and, and, and it gives you the kind of the feeling of the old school Olympic bid process where you would wine and dine the delegates and try and get their votes and just spend and spend and spend. I, yeah. The benefit would obviously be clear. I just hope we're not just dumping all this money to get nowhere. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. We bring in Don Robertson of the Dundas Real McCoys of ComChoice Realty of various other things from the great city metropolis of Dundas, who's in here every Monday at this time, who... uh, was part of the uh, Youngblood game on Friday, which was the Hamilton Steelhawks and the Dundas Real McCoys. They got replica jerseys from the movie Youngblood featuring the Hamilton Mustangs. It was a lot of fun. You guys did a good job. It was. It was very creative on their part to do it, and it was particularly well-received. Our guys really enjoyed it. 
weren't very happy about the result, but they the, the concept was good, and they took a group picture of both teams, and it was uh, it was good. It was fun. I, my only disappointment out of the whole thing, because again, I thought it was a lot of fun, and, and it's one of those Hollywood moments where Hamilton was front and center for again going back to the '80s. Speaking of the '80s, um, a little disappointed that Rob Lowe, because I know I can tell you for sure that Rob Lowe's people were contacted. And I was a little disappointed that there wouldn't be some kind of acknowledgement from Rob Lowe. I mean, come on, how how difficult would it be to put out a tweet saying... The Steelhawks did. I mean, they, oh, they, they tagged did, them. And, and I did. When I wrote the piece about it, I contacted his yep. people and was told very quickly that he was too busy to be... Perhaps it may not have been his most proud moment. Well, maybe, but you know what? It was 30 years ago, though, so get over yourself. It was 1986. But not only that, it's 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 a cult classic. It's one of those movies that has stuck around, so for better or for worse, whether right. it was your best moment or not, it's, it has stuck around, and I tell you what, I would bet you that any actor, almost any actor, I mean, I'm not talking about Anthony Hopkins or someone who's like, but but 99% of actors would kill to have a movie that they did 40 or 35 years ago still talked about by people. Caddyshack? Sure. Stuff like that, I mean. It's, sure. Yeah, I don't know why they didn't. Well, look at, look, I mean, and, and they don't, it doesn't, all these actors, now Rob Lowe has obviously had a good career, but I mean, Napoleon Dynamite, for example. The people who are in Napoleon Dynamite Many of them will never be in another movie that will get attention. They they love. Uh, several years ago, during a comic con, I had the soup Nazi from Seinfeld on. <laughs> that guy and I said, like, do you, does it bother you? He goes, bother me. I as actors, we want to be remembered for something, and so yes, it was a one-off character. But everywhere I go, people know me for that character. How can I be upset about that? And so he, and he probably. St- tries to remain looking similar to that. So he does get some notoriety. Well, and I said, do you mind doing the line? And he goes, of course not. I do it a hundred times a day. <laughs> that's, that's how he now makes yeah. his, li- he's made a living. So Rob Lowe has not made a living, but I, again, I kind of thought it, he might have sent out a tweet or something saying, you know, my old character. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I knew we weren't going to hear from Patrick Swayze. And I don't know about uh, Cynthia Gibb. I don't know what she's... I do know. I looked up what Cynthia Gibb's up to these days. But anyway, I was... Um, maybe the next time you do a Young Blood game, Rob Lowe will make it up. It he's busy with that nine one one show, whatever it's called now. That, that He's the fire guy. Firefighter. Well, as, uh, <laughs> as my wife said, he's still Rob Lowe. He's still Rob Lowe. He's still better looking than either you or I. Yeah. By not a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Yeah, it's not even close. Um, If you and I combined our best features and then doubled it, we'd still be well swamped in the looks department. Uh, (sighs) All right. Uh, This story that I want to ask you about um, came at 3.44 today. So late this afternoon, this story broke. I find it a fascinating story. Everybody knows about the Houston Astros uh, cheating with their sign stealing and the technology and everything else. And that story has been well covered. I, I think that baseball is not done with it yet. I think the story is not going away. People aren't letting it go clearly and more and more stuff seems to be coming out. And I think, I think there's going to have to be more. Baseball will have to do more than what they've done. But this story is out of the hands of baseball, and it's a fascinating story. There's a guy who pitched for the Blue Jays 
back in 2017, the year that this was first a cheating issue with the Astros. And his name was Mike Bolsinger, or Bolsinger. I'm not sure how you pronounce it. I can't even remember. It's been that long. And he did not last with the Blue Jays for very long. He was in the bullpen for a short time. And in uh, 2017, he went into a game on August 4th against Houston in Houston, faced eight batters, got one out, 29 pitches, was able, he gave up four runs, four hits, and three walks in a third of an inning, got one guy out after the game, was sent down to the minors, and never has pitched in the majors again. And he is now in Los Angeles County, has filed a lawsuit against the Houston Astros for affecting and destroying his career because he says, had I, had they not been cheating and knowing what pitches I was throwing, I may have stuck with the Blue Jays and I may have had a career. You After something like that, the team is disinclined to bring you back because it, it looks like you can't pitch at that level. And that, that won't be the last one. Well, if he wins... Wait till it turns into a class action lawsuit because there'll be all kinds of guys with stories like that. There'll be, there'll be pitchers now... And we may find out that there'll be a guy like this that went back to the catcher and said, it's almost like they knew what I was throwing. He said that's what he thought at the time, that they were laying off stuff that they never should have been laying off. Now, interestingly, just before everyone comes to the conclusion, well, here's just a guy who's looking for a quick buck and to try and score because he couldn't do it in the majors. He is. He sued them for $30 million and has said every dollar that he gets out of this, if he can win, will go towards a program for major leaguers who have suffered in their retirement, who are impoverished or need help. So he's not Yikes. He's not looking for a financial score on this one by the sounds of it. Puts this a little is, meat on the bone, doesn't it, when you're going to say this isn't about me? I'm not keeping a dime of it. Yeah. I'm not keeping a dime. This is going to go, but it's the point behind this, that there are people. So the question, Don, has has been since this happened, well, come on, who are the real victims here? And you could argue, well, the Dodgers were the victims because they lost two World Series or the Yankees lost a playoff series with this. But now you look at a guy who you can, you can kind of make a case that his career was ended and destroyed by this. Because look, I call you up to the majors. I put you into a game and you wet the bed entirely and look like you can't get anybody out, and I send you back down, next time, even if you're pitching well in the minors, I go, ah, we saw that guy. But you see, one of his points has to be that the Blue Jays thought enough of him to bring him up. They thought, this guy can pitch at the major league level, only to get his butt kicked and sent away and to never return. You see, and and this will not be the only story like this. And they haven't, you, you, you'll you know better than I, they haven't done to Boston yet, have they? Like not Boston yet. got rid of their manager. They're still waiting. So Boston are, that shoe's going to drop. And Pete Rose is back. Well, let me read you a couple paragraphs from, this is a story in USA Today. Again, it came out this afternoon. Uh, So after the August the 4th game in which he got battered around by the Astros at a time when they were knowing what pitches were coming, Bolsinger spent the rest of the season in Class AAA, so AAA, going 1-0 with one save and a 1.93 ERA. Pretty good. Not bad, yeah. That's very good. But he was not among the Blue Jays' September call-ups and wasn't offered a new contract by the Jays or any other team. Quote, I was an older guy. They had younger guys to call up. Let's say that Astros game doesn't happen. I probably don't get sent down. But at that point, they probably lost faith in me and were over it. 
With no interest from MLB teams, Bolsinger went to Japan. His wife was pregnant during their first season, and their son was a baby during the second. They had no family in Japan, didn't speak the language. It goes on and on and on. That basically this, this thing affected him. It wasn't just as a baseball. It wasn't just as a, as a game. It affected his life. Changed his career. Changed a lot of it things. It may have changed may his have. career. And I think it's going to be tough to prove that in court. Yeah, but boy, you're going to get somebody's ear. I mean, he already has. I mean, it was in USA Today. But your point is 100% right. If he somehow either can win this or can settle this. Now, this is why Houston could, the, the Astros can never settle this case. Because no. if he does, how many other pitchers throughout Major League Baseball have not an identical story, but a similar story? And Major League Baseball itself will hold the teams back, but there'll be teams that got beat out for a playoff spot, perhaps didn't get the pennant. I mean, it's just going to be like Niagara Falls. It's not going to stop. You can argue- now you can lump Boston into it. I'm not sure the Blue Jays couldn't have won the World Series last year. They just played Boston too often and couldn't hit. Well, okay, so you you know how athletes work. Let's say it's not the case of Bolsinger when you get sent down right after a bad loss, but you have a pitcher who, after playing against Houston or potentially after playing against Boston, goes on a cold slump because psychologically you've lost your confidence that, man, you just got hammered. And maybe you pitched against them twice in a series against Houston and both times they battered you around. Yeah. And you could you can certainly try to make the case, I would think, that would say that time affected my numbers, which affected the contract I was able to sign after that, and so it's real dollars. It's very difficult because it's all hypothetical. But anyone who knows sports would say you anyone in sports would be able to say, yeah, you know what the the psychology of this could ha- could have had an effect on a guy. The interesting thing is I can't think of another sport that could have this happen to them. Like there's there's no chance that um, the goalie's going to know what kind of shot Connor McDavid's going to take. Football, maybe. Maybe. If you, could, if you could have intercepted the calls from – if you could create the technology to intercept the call from the coach to the quarterback in his earpiece and you knew what their playbook said so you could say he's going to throw deep – a deep fly pattern or something like maybe, but that even that would be very difficult yeah. to do because it's because it's just one on one and you're right. I mean, yeah, maybe and football and quarterbacks have multiple options. There's no like if one guy is covered, you're looking to your that's right. So it would be much more difficult. You're right. This would be probably the one where it would be the most easy to do it. If you know there's a fastball coming, it's going to be a fastball, and you still have to hit it. But as far as your timing and everything else, you have a it, it helps monumentally. Well, the other thing too, you know, you talk about a pitcher and his average and he has a couple, say three bad outings against um, Houston that make his earned run average, you know, 0.2 decibels higher and you're renegotiating and it costs you a lot of money. Um, how many of the Houston batters who had a higher average and got multi multi year contracts from other teams, and went to them. And somebody's already agents. somebody's already done that study. I mean, I, I you got to have too much time in your hands for me to do it for 
for me to look into that, but somebody will have done that. There'll be a couple guys that just had tremendous careers in Houston, signed as free agents, and their batting average drop dropped by 30 decimal points. They're going, this isn't what we bought. That's what I'm saying. There'll be teams sitting around that have signed guys that played in Houston that didn't get the guy they signed because the guy they signed knew what was coming. Now, you know other Major League Baseball teams aren't going to sue the Houston Astros, but it creates a quagmire. The follow-up to this would be, okay, so again, let's say that Bolsinger somehow wins this, and I I find it very difficult because I think that there's going to be the entire baseball apparatus is going to be operating against this because baseball, I think, wouldn't be too interested in seeing this happen because of the Pandora's box that would open. Because if you suddenly say, all right, the Astros owe Bolsinger $10 million, throwing out a number. Yep. Not only do you have all the other pitchers who faced Houston who could make a case, but now what about, and, and Boston, but what else is cheating? When guys who were on PEDs were playing. Yeah. So when Barry Bonds was hitting home runs against you as a pitcher, can you argue I can sue Barry Bonds and the San Francisco Giants because my career was affected by the fact that Barry Bonds cheated, cheated and hit home runs and that affected my career. Or Roger Clemens, who was on stuff, apparently struck me out. So as a batter now, I can say my career was affected because of the times I faced him. Y- y- it is a massive Pandora's box you'd be opening. Well, like I slipped in earlier, Pete Rose. Pete does Rose. Pete, does Pete Rose look as bad now as he did six months ago? Yes. I would say he does. But because someone else does something bad doesn't make you less bad. No, but if the punishment is you're out of baseball? Because because of what Paul Bernardo did, it doesn't make Charles Manson look less bad. Right? There are. It's all bad. So Pete Rose looks just as bad, but these other guys are also just but as bad. But they haven't done to these guys what they've done to that's, Pete Rose. No, and that's absolutely true. So if they're not going to treat these guys for cheating in baseball, heaven forbid they find out they were betting on it. But there's another one. I, I, and I, if look, you've yeah. got to know the guys that place big bets, if they could get to uh, the 1908 uh, Black Sox, the black, yeah, yep, the black yep. socks, and they could get to other people to determine or help try and influence a game. That you know, the guys that are betting on the sport, they have moles everywhere. Now, how much money was won when they knew how to bet on Houston and the type of batters that were or pitchers that were coming in and saying if they know this guy's only got two pitches. Like, he's got two dominant pitches, and if you know what's coming, I'm betting on Houston tonight. Yep. Well, and, and I go back to the Pete Rose thing, because I, 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 I've heard a lot of people say, well, Pete Rose deserves to get back in, and he's actually filed a claim with baseball saying, you didn't kick any Astros players out for what they did. Why am I banned from baseball? He makes a point, not that he should be back in, but that the Astros, some Astros players should be sitting out. Well, I Here, think that is his point, though. I, I, well, if you're going to keep me out for cheating yes. in baseball, then you have to kick the other cheaters out. And and when people say, well, Pete Rose never bet against his own team, and apparently that's true. He only ever bet for his team to win. I would even, even though I'm against betting on 
your team against players or managers or people involved in the game betting on if he had bet every single game 162 games of the year on his team to win the same amount of money every game I would have said all right he was just a bit of a goofball (laughs) because you're not going to win 162 games the problem is he bets three days in a row on his team to win he uses he taxes his bullpen to try and win and then on day four he doesn't lay a bet with his bookie What's his bookie now know? Well, Pete doesn't think he's going to win today. He's going to save his bullpen. His bullpen is exhausted, whatever else. It's like a cue, an unintentional cue. I'm not saying he did it on purpose, but it's an unintentional cue that this is not a game I would ever bet. I'm betting against Cincinnati today. His bookie. His bookie. Because or, his, or his bookie's buddies are. And all the buddies now who, okay, but who that's know. Back, that's back to my point about Houston. Right. So it doesn't like, diminish what Pete Rose did, is my point. But... But what Pete Rose did doesn't diminish what these guys did. No. It's all bad. No, of course. Okay, I'll buy that. I mean, it's true. You cheat, you cheat, right? But if these guys get to rem- now, the, the other argument is I don't think any of these guys are going to the Hall of Fame anyway. Oh no, there's a couple. There's at least a couple. Houston guys. Oh yeah, Jose Altuve. Uh, I was thinking managers, but no, okay. no. But I'm talking about players who who, who may have had an artificially high batting. We don't average. know. We don't know. Well, they better have a better av- batting average. Holy crap! If you know what's coming and you're not a better batter, they're, you're a real slug. The the challenge with this for baseball, where this becomes very difficult, and where I think baseball is avoiding doing anything with the players because you're walking into a real spot here. Is how do you prove that the player knew? What the, the, the player was involved. Somebody could have been banging on the garbage pail in the dugout like we hear this is the signal. But the player up at bat may have not asked them to do it. So they're banging away and the player up at bat is an innocent bystander. You don't, Unless you've got an earpiece in or something, we heard about things, you know, rumors of things strapped to them, buzzers or whatever. If there's a way that you could prove the player was complicit in this. But if it's just something happening in the dugout while you're up to bat, that that's not proof that that player up to bat. Well, I can tell I, I can tell you, common sense says they know. Common sense would say you know, but can you prove? So if I if or they have stopped doing it because the big tough guy at the end of the thing said nobody can hear you. If you hit that garbage pail one more time, I'm going to put you in it. Yeah, that that could be. But I mean, look, Don, if you are walking down the street with me, and I yell an offensive epithet while you're standing beside me. That doesn't mean that you were part of the discussion that led to that epithet, right? You can be an innocent bystander. You can be a victim of circumstance because I've said something offensive yeah, but, and you're there but with you're me. assuming I didn't hear it. We're talking about can you hear it and did you take advantage of but it? But that's the thing. We, how do you prove that the player at bat took advantage of it? He may have even heard it. But did he ask you to do that for him? It's, the, the point is it's very They diff- were all in on it. I, I believe that. I believe that, but it's very difficult if you went to court to prove that that player was in on it. It's there, very it, difficult. There isn't a pure enough baseball player on the planet that isn't listening to know a fastball's coming because it's going to help his contract. Back to that. like he's. And I agree. If you're telling me when the fastball's coming, and I well, I, I can tell you, I, I don't have the intestinal fortitude to say, I'm not going to listen, it's not fair. Yeah, I'm going to go for a curveball, even yeah, though I, I know I know it's a I know it's a fastball, but I'm not buying it. I'm not going to take advantage of it. It's not fair to the other team. I wouldn't do it. It would be look. It, logic would say you would then go, oh, fastball. 
Now my morals are pretty high. No, no, logic would say you would then know it's a fastball, but once again, it goes to my point of your intent and of your motive. And if you were up there not asking for help, not wanting the help, and they're just banging away on it, it's, it just becomes, it's very <sighs> difficult. It's very difficult for baseball to make the case is all I'm saying. They were all in on it. I, I agree with you. I agree wholeheartedly with you. I, I don't. I, I think it's. Was ludic- it just at home? Mostly, mostly. They also did it some other places, but they had the real advantage at home where they had the technology. Um, it's ludicrous in my mind to suggest that players were not involved. I just don't know. You know, we hear about court cases all the time where you have someone say, "Well, we believe that he did this or she did this, but we just can't prove the case beyond a reasonable doubt." That's I don't know that you could prove this beyond a reasonable doubt, which would then open a can of worms if you go down that road. Well, OJ but it got makes off, all the sense in the world. OJ got off on murder charges. No. Well, but he lost in civil court. It would be well that where it's a balance of probability. Yeah. It would be, it, that would, see, that's where this. And that's per, where this guy is. That's where this is, which could make it really interesting because baseball may say, we can't prove enough to ban you from baseball. We can't prove beyond any reasonable level that you were involved, but you go to here and he only has to prove beyond a reasonable doubt in civil case, in civil court that you were involved in this, he may have a chance. And then. As you say, Niagara Falls is open because suddenly oh. you got to think that it's coming from everywhere then. There'll be, and there's a million scenarios. Like we've, we've talked about some of them. Other pitchers, they're the Houston players whose batter, batting averages were artificially high. They got a great free agent contract. Their batting averages were lower. He's going to the manager and said, well, it was easier in Houston. I knew what was coming. Can you not get tell me what's coming? What I think ultimately happens... I, and I'm, I'm giving it a 50-50, but that's a lot higher than it was before. <laughs> I've, I've reached the point of 50-50 that at some point, there may be a very serious discussion about taking away the World Series from Houston. Only because if stuff like this continues to trickle out and you continue to have more and more stuff, I don't, you, you, you're not going to award it to the Dodgers. You're just going to have no winner that year. And, and I could, I, I've, I've now reached the point where I'm 50-50 on the chance that that could happen before it was like 10% if at best. Well, you're right. When this stuff continues to come out, uh, nothing else and put an asterisk beside it. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.